sorry, I had Sometimes. Welcome to episode 27 of Breaking Cafe with Boudrin and Barry, the three best friends you did not know you had. Barry Rose, back from vacation, not from a remote location this week. Barry, are you glad to be home? Uh, am I glad to be home? No, I guess not. I, I think at the end of the day, I, 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 and I should say, I love my apartment. As everybody knows, I, uh, I got uh, divorced, separated about a year and a half ago. I've been living on my own, and I love my apartment. I love the complex in which I live. But look, Florida is my home. Florida is where my heart is at. I miss Florida terribly. And I've only been home, I don't know, 12 hours? 24 hours? I don't know what the so, fuck. But- Barry, before I get into the details of what we're going to be discussing on this particular episode, you posted a very special announcement from the Rose family. If you'd like to share it with the listeners, please do so. Yeah, absolutely, too. So I'm so proud. My daughter uh, applied to several universities, was not rejected from any, was waitlisted for one but was accepted to, uh, I guess, about 10 or 11 universities. But she has decided that University of Pittsburgh, where her older brother, Zachary, has been the last three years, she will be joining him next year. So I will have both kids at Pitt uh, for one year next year. And again, I'm so proud of both of them, and I'm so excited for her. So my understanding, Barry, and and please uh, remind me if I'm uh, remembering, remembering this incorrectly, was she'd been accepted to MIT, Stanford, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Notre Dame. And she said, no, no, I want to go to Pitt because uh, Pittsburgh is where Javorski is. And, uh, you know, he'll buy me lunch uh, when dad comes to visit, that kind of thing. Javorski ain't buying anybody lunch. Javorski doesn't buy The next lunch, lunch Javorski buys will be the first one. You're absolutely correct on that. So congratulations to Zoe. Uh, now, Barry, the next thing you need to worry about is when Ozzy chooses which school he's going to go to, uh, and then you'll truly become an empty nester, Barry. But uh, we're very, very happy and proud for Zoe uh, for announcing that she'll be a Pitt Panther come fall time on this particular episode of Breaking Kayfabe with and Barry. Uh, Barry, for the first time ever, we are going to Amarillo. Yes, the old Amarillo territory, and we're going to see Ted DiBiase and Larry Lane taking on Mr. Pogo and Akia Sato rep. Uh, represented by the general himself, Skandar Akbar. Besides all that, Barry, we are going to be offering up a movie review. Oh, Barry, the Velasa Pastor. Truly a bad movie that was lots of fun to watch. Uh, as someone pointed out in review, Barry, uh, we're combining uh, hookers, uh, dinosaurs, uh, uh, priests, and ninjas. And so that's a, that's a real good quartet there, Barry. Uh, so besides that, Barry, Florida man or not, uh, lots of fun always doing that. We've got some, uh, uh, let's just say some, uh, uh, the first time the term ejaculate uh, is ever used uh, in this uh, fine podcast. Uh, So you'll look forward to hearing that story. Uh, Before we do, Barry, a couple things I want to clear up. And I I know there are some uh, things you want to mention about your trip down to Florida, but I got a couple quick stories to share with the folks here. Uh, uh, Good luck on this. This is going to be a special elongated podcast. edition of the podcast since Barry was uh, off on vacation. We both had times to uh, write down some stories we want to share with the folks. First of all, Barry, did you happen to see the story about, you know, very tragically, one of the things that I addressed, uh, God, it's been, I can't believe it, Barry, now three, four years ago, uh, the uh, the horrible story that came out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where the uh, 17 people were murdered by Nicholas Cruz. 
uh, allegedly. I'll have to say that because he's still waiting to go on trial. Uh, but uh, so they're doing jury selection, okay? And uh, as far as I know, I believe this is <laughs> – you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know exactly what okay. you're talking about. So, I saw so they're doing jury selection, okay? <laughs> and, you know, uh, Lord knows this is going to be a long process, even though uh, from my understanding – uh, this is only to determine what his sentence will be, uh, whether it's going to be life in prison or if he's going to get uh, the death penalty. OK, so they're interviewing the various and sundry people. And uh, this is let me let me be quite candid, uh, a very big pool of people that they're looking at. They think just selecting a jury is going to take anywhere between three to six months uh, because, you know, this is I'm really, quite frankly, kind of surprised they didn't uh, change what they call change a venue, like take it to a different part of the state where maybe this isn't such a. Uh, a story that was uh, all over the news for months and months and months. It's like it, it's kind of impossible to have lived in Broward County at that time and not be at least familiar with the story. Uh, Elberry, this guy was arrested in my neighborhood, <laughs> you know, so uh, right. I was slightly familiar with the story. But so there are people, obviously, that are not big fans of being jurors. I get that. You know, uh, there are people that uh, don't mind doing my wife. She served jury and loved it. She had, a, a you know, not a great time, but she found it very, um, you know, not just uh, informative, but she felt like she was doing her civic duty. Uh, and there are people that do that. You know, our friend Joy Broussard, one of our brother shippers, uh, served on a murder trial that uh, I I want to say it took close to a year, uh, you know, and credit to him for for taking that, you know, and, yeah, and doing that. Absolutely. And, and so and this is besides the jury selection, it's going to be a long process deciding a young man's fate. Uh, is he going to get the electric chair? Is he going to get life in prison? These are very complex legal and social issues that need to be decided. And quite frankly, there are ways of getting out of jury service. You know, all you need to do in Broward County is say, you know what? Uh, I lived in the neighborhood where he was captured, like it happened to me. Or, you know, I read about this case every single day. I've listened to podcasts about this, you know, a particular issue every single, I mean, you know, and they're going to say, thank you for coming down. You're excused, okay? However, what you do not do, and I'm, you know, I'll say, Barry, this was a funny comment, okay? It became a soundbite for a day or two all over the national news, and people were laughing about it. And it was a funny soundbite, okay? But you're going to be considered as a juror for a murder case. And not just a murder case, 17 murders, Barry. This was probably, might have been the most horrific incident in the history of Broward County, okay? And so one woman asked to be excused because, and I quote, I can't serve on these three particular days. And the judge says, well, what, what's the problem? And, you know, this is a common occurrence, Barry. Oh, well, you know, uh, I've got a, a medical situation. And on those particular days, I have to see my doctor. Okay, that's fine. We'll make a note of the, that you can't serve in those three particular days. No, this particular woman says, those are the days that I spend with my sugar daddy. And to compound it, at that point when I heard the soundbite, I said, oh, this is fucking ridiculous and turned it off. Okay. To compound it, she said, yeah, uh, the other days I'm with my husband, but those are the three days I spend with my sugar daddy. So there she's now on a national level has basically cuckolded her husband. Okay. And exposed the fact that she's getting banged by somebody else. Come on, folks, we're better than this. And, you know, Barry, tell us your thoughts. Yes, it was a funny comment at the time, but you know, come on, it's a friggin' 17 counts of murder. 
it's it's and it's weird I, for me when I think of sugar daddy. I guess, and obviously I'm I'm incorrect about this, but I think of a sugar daddy as uh, an older guy dating a younger woman. She's obviously not in love. He's paying the rent, giving her gifts, and then he climbs on top of her a couple of times a month. That's what I think of as a sugar daddy. I didn't realize you could be married and also have a sugar daddy, but sure, why not? Uh, it, she did cuckold her husband. I... I find it I, I find the fact that she uses that as an I guess we're going to be serious for a moment, too. Right. Like in a, in a rare moment here. Uh, I don't know. I I would I have excused her based off of that. I'm not really sure who did. She, did somebody give her this advice to say that she has a sugar dad? I don't know. It just the whole thing seems so weird. But as you said, it did become a soundbite for about 48 hours or so. And, you know, the thing is, is the judge in the case it used to be a prosecutor in my division. OK, and uh, she's uh, she's known for being a tough judge and credit to her for not completely unloading on the woman in front of yes. everybody. You know, uh, I can tell you that I've uh, been the clerk for judges that absolutely would have who would have possibly considered holding the woman in contempt. Now, right. Why would you uh, you're asking yourself, why would that uh, cause someone to be held in contempt? Again, you're talking about someone who's on trial for murdering 17 people, folks. This is not some flippant, uh, you know, like uh, a petty theft or or uh, somebody that's suing, uh, you know, somebody for seven dollars. This is a kid that is accused of murdering 17 fucking people. Why do you go in there and start acting, excuse the expression, acting the fool? Uh, why don't you go in there during a trial of this sort of seriousness and this sort of magnitude and decide you want to uh, mention, oh, yeah, I got a side piece that I, you know, and I need to get fucking nailed by uh, instead of coming in and doing my civic duty. If you don't want to do your civic duty, come up with some other friggin excuse. But it was an embarrassment, not only to her, to this, the court system that I worked at for 30 plus years, it was an embarrassment to her. And she doesn't realize that because apparently, uh, you know, she's uh, I won't say what I think of her personally, but uh, I'll, I'll be better than that, Barry. But I found it extremely embarrassing. And uh, yeah, she's uh, she's really lucky that uh, she didn't find herself being held in contempt. Barry, how about now we talk about our match of the week and let's get on to uh, more foolishness uh, and back to what we usually do here on the show, Barry. Barry, let's talk about our match of the week. First time, I believe, after 230-plus episodes, I'm not completely positive, but I believe this is the first time we're ever doing a match from Amarillo. We are talking March 24th, 1979, from the studios of KFDA Channel 10. There's a little tag action from the old Amarillo territory as Ted DiBiase. This might have been before he became Ted Debussy. And Larry Lane taking on Mr. Pogo and Akio Sato. First of all, Barry, Pogo and Sato. Let's uh, get the clarification because I remember once I famously screwed up. Uh, now, this is Akio Sato. And Mr. Pogo was, of course, also famous as? Mr. Pogo was also famous as, and for some reason I'm drawing a blank, though. Yes, he did have an, an, another identity. He was. Uh, I totally forget who was. Okay, so this was not uh, what he called Kazuo Sakuruto, who was uh, uh, oh no 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 no. no. So this was a Mr. Pogo that was 
uh, did a lot of the, uh, I hate to say, the garbage matches over yes. in Japan. Yes. yes. Okay. So it's that Mr. Pogo and the Akia Sato, uh, who was uh, not the great Kabuki in the uh, Saito and Sato uh, combination in Florida, correct? Akahisa Mera. I'm sure I'm butchering the first name, but Akahisa Mera, who was Mr. Sato, and, uh, the, and more famously, as you just said, the great Kabuki, yes. Exato. Didn't he marry a, a, uh, an American yes. lady? Look yes. Look at you with your wrestling Yeah, you know, every once in a while I pull something out of the brain. married Betty Nikolai? Okay, I'll take so, your word for that. Well, so this is what was interesting. It, you know, it, and I think a lot of this, actually, there's a lot of interesting facets to this. It, Kansas City, much like Florida, and I don't know how many territories truly had this, but Kansas City had essentially a couple of women wrestlers that they would bring out every few months. They would wrestle. I guess they would go into some sort of semi-retirement. Then they would dust them off and bring them off. And Betty Nikolai was one. The other was the late Jean Antone. I don't know if Betty Nikolai is still with us. In Florida, they did this for uh, somewhere around 15 years, give or take. Think about that for a minute. And they would, uh, Bonnie Watson, who was the the late Bonnie Watson, uh, married to the late Stu Schwartz. And then Bonnie would come around four times a year and she would usually work with Sherry Lee. And it was just funny because this feud probably went on for somewhere the better part of uh, 12 to 15 years. But if you start to look like, you know, people will say all the time on, on social media, they'll ask the question, who, which wrestlers in the old territory days worked with each other the most? And usually the answer is like the Sheik and Bobo Brazil, right? They must have worked together a, a thousand times at least. I would make a case for Bonnie Watson and uh, Sherry Lee as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, before we get to the match, it's kind of just started uh, going down a wormhole here. You were talking about those ladies wrestlers. Not every lady wrestler in this country was affiliated with Moolah because, you know, besides uh, Betty Nikolai and Jean Antone, you know, I don't think, was Sandy Parker part of her troupe? I think she might have been at one point, but yes, she was right. uh, She was primarily on the West Coast, wasn't she? She went off, she was, yep, she went off on her own, uh, Sandy Parker, but I just mentioned Bonnie Watson, Sherry Lee. There were and Casey, very the late Ann Casey, very vocal about not being part of Moolah's troop in her later years on social media. Yeah, and the other one I was thinking of was Penny Banner. Yeah, who was, who was yeah. in the Carolinas, and I think uh, she was also not part of uh, Moolah's troop. Anyway, but here, uh, so getting, here's the here's the common denominator with that. Now that you say that, a lot of the women wrestlers who were somehow either married or in deep relationships with male wrestlers were not part of Moolah's troop. That's an interesting thing right there. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little Amarillo TV here, Bear. Uh, and I believe, uh, if I'm correct, this is another match that uh, I got sent to me by Kevin Orcutt. We want to thank Kevin for that. Uh, Ted DiBiase, Larry Lane versus uh, Mr. Pogo and Akia Sato. They are managed by Skandar Akbar. Ooh, the evil Skandar Akbar. So we're starting this match off. Let's first of all uh, mention that Ted DiBiase with the nice little burn on the face from a previous attack by Akbar's group. Uh, and it was uh, up there with your, uh, what do you call your Ricky Steamboat on Mid-Atlantic TV. Uh, I think Roddy Piper had the burn done to his face too. Uh, so let's get to the match, Barry. What'd you think of this match? I thought it was a pretty good TV match. 
Yeah, it was actually a great TV match, Jeff. There is, uh, there's nothing about this match that will make you go, holy shit, I've got to see it. Uh, at the same token, this is solid, right? This is a really solid look. This is a very good time capsule look at 1979. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I, I like Ted DiBiase here, too. He looks great. Uh, and this is what, 79? Is that what you said? Right. March of 79. And uh, interesting that the announcer refers to him as Ted DiBiase. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that on a couple different places. Uh, yeah. Depending but on it the was, promotion, I think. I think Larry Matizek used to refer to him as that also. Makes me wonder, too, is it DiBiase or is it DiBiase? Because Ted, Ted really spent the majority of his early career uh, either working uh, for Watts or Leroy McGurk or then going to West Texas and working with uh, the Funks or Murdoch and Mulligan, the promotion at this point, too, the Funks were essentially out. This was Murdoch and Mulligan, which was, I think, called M&M Promotions. Uh, so with that, they do have Blackjack Mulligan on uh, commentary, sitting, I believe, with uh, Steve Roberts, I believe is who it was. And uh, Mulligan is good. He he says a few things which are funny, The and funny in hindsight, obviously. The one that I... I kind of stuck it out to me was Ted DiBiase, as you had mentioned, uh, working this angle of getting his face burned by the general Skandor Akbar. He's in the ring and Mulligan basically saying that, uh, you know, he's he's coming back uh, from an injury that occurred last week. He was in intensive care, but now he's wrestling, which is great. You're in <laughs> intensive care. Three days later, you're on TV on a televised wrestling match. Looking great, by the way. So Ted DiBiase, just a, a real Superman of a wrestler. I, th uh, I think I think Ted had, was offered the PPO plan by the, uh, the yeah, promotion. right, some sort of healthcare. <laughs> Absolutely, by the by the promotion. Uh, I should say too, Mulligan and Murdoch bought bought the promotion from the Frunk Funk Brothers. Frunk Brothers. Uh, we should also say we should point this out. This is the earliest recording of breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry in the history of the show. We're on our way to four and a half years where we'll, in the next couple of months will be a, uh, encroaching upon five years. This is a very early recording for us. And especially for our producer, scam likely sweet Lou, who it's uh, just over eight o'clock in the morning. But uh, why do we do this Barry? Why? Because we're what? We're, we're givers, Jeff. Yes, we're and givers. Lou, Lou is an extreme giver on uh, this particular recording. So thank you, Lou. Please really, continue. He really is too. Sato and Pogo. So a couple of thoughts with this one too, and certainly we just talked about Sato and Pogo. Sato was a guy that really didn't travel a whole lot. He he made his roots in the Kansas City area where he was. Seems like a lot of those guys in Kansas City just stayed. Uh, and, and worked, and Sato was one of those guys. I believe he was AWA during its dying years in the mid to late 80s, uh, and then he was out here, but for the most part, he didn't travel. Nothing wrong with his work at all. I think he could have certainly traveled and done something. If I'm correct, and I don't know if I am, I believe he may have had children with Betty Nikolai, and maybe that was it. He didn't want to leave his family, which is super respectable, uh, and not doing that. Pogo did jump around. You were right. Poco in later years, and he was in Florida in 1981 with Sir Oliver Humperdinck, the Magic Dragon, if you remember him, the guy that perished in the plane crash. Yes. Uh, yeah, solid talent, too. Uh, but Pogo was a guy that in later years worked for garbage promotions in Japan, 
and then he passed away a few years back. Uh, Akbar. So I, I never loved Akbar on a national scale. And with that, I should probably say working for Watts in the UWF as the general. I, I never got into him. Does a solid job here. Not a lot of talking, but takes some really solid bumps, which I, I think was really, really important to this match. Took, I think, a hip deal or uh, something from DBS and did a flip over. And then Grizzly Boone pops in the ring. Grizzly also managed by Akbar at this time. And I've got no idea. Well, I should say I have an idea who he is, but I don't have confirmation. Grizzly Boone was a guy. And I, we also should say there was a couple of Grizzly Boons. There was one that teamed with Ray Candy, uh, Kareem Muhammad, and I forget what name, but they were in uh, one of the Georgia independent promotions at the time that like uh, Jody Hamilton was running Deep South. And then there was another promotion that I think Buck Robley might have been running. There was a couple of independents that were running opposite each other. And there was a Grizzly Boon there. That is not the guy. This Grizzly Boone looks like Pete Austin. If you remember, there was a journeyman guy, late 70s, done by, I'll say, 80 or 81 named Pete Austin. I want to say he was from maybe Boston or somewhere up in uh, New England. And very similar look. He was in Florida briefly, three months, four months. Big guy, kind of crazy hair. It's exactly who this looks like to me. But this is, wrap it up, this is a fun match. It's 12 minutes, nothing boring. And when you look, I, I think the only disappointment here was Larry Lane. And I'll, the reason I say that, Larry, I had seen one other match with Larry Lane. And he, he was, he always reminded me in some ways of Dory Funk Jr., and I know that they had a program at one time. They they were wrestling each other. Uh, but Larry Lane was another guy. West Texas, I believe, worked prelims in mid-Atlantic, was in Calgary. But not a guy that really traveled. And Larry Lane, the other match I saw, which I think was against Dory Funk Jr., boy, he was good. And I was like thinking, why didn't this guy have a bigger career? He doesn't really do well. He doesn't look bad here. He just doesn't do anything. This match is more a showcase for DBS and Akbar in a sense. So uh, that's a shame, but I, I would highly recommend this, especially based off the 12 minutes of this match. So I saw a question uh, that was posed by somebody, and I think it, it makes for good discussion potentially, I hope. Uh, you know, when people talk about uh, the quote unquote uh, wrestling hall of fame, uh, and for the purpose of this discussion, we'll say the wrestling observer hall of fame, okay? One of the demarcation lines for wrestlers has always been like uh, Murdoch and Wahoo McDaniel. Sure. You know, were they better or worse than uh, Murdoch and Wahoo McDaniel? So my question to you, and since uh, he was involved in some respect in this match, Skandar Akbar, do you, first of all, do you see him as a Hall of Fame worthy manager? And if not, is it proper to say that he is that Murdoch and Wahoo level uh, manager? where it's like they're either better than him or worse than him as to whether or not they should be in a Hall of Fame. What do you think? I, I and, you know, certainly I, I don't want to be critical of uh, Skandor Akbar. I don't see him as a Hall of Fame manager. I mean, that's fair. I, I just, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, and I just, you know, I, because I, I respect, uh, and I like Skandor Akbar too. Let me say, I, I, I enjoy Skandor Akbar, but I, I think if we're 
we're put as a mouth a manager is a mouthpiece for the most part right it's you're you got to be a solid mouthpiece and i always felt his work on the national level again being watts's uwf was very you know i'm the general it was just kind of blustery but there was not much there that he wasn't offering anything it wasn't there was nothing witty there was nothing it was just very basic stuff I like the fact that he was taking bumps here. And we've talked about Gary Hart previously and where Gary Hart wouldn't take bumps. I think, again, I think that was based off the plane crash and all that. But Gary Hart would get punched by flair and he would essentially hold the ropes and lower himself to the mat. It just looked terrible. And uh, Akbar, I don't remember Akbar taking many bumps for Watts at all. So no bumps, not a good interview not a Hall of Fame manager. Again, I liked Akbar. It's not really a knock. I, I just don't see it. Would he be the demarcation for it? I don't see that either. Uh, I, I think you would have better, better options as a demarcation for a Hall of Fame career. Just to piggyback on what you said, Dick Murdoch and Wahoo McDaniel, as somebody who saw them in their primes, not washed up in the AWA in the mid 80s or in uh, WCW in the early 90s. Dick Murdoch and Wahoo McDaniel, if they're not in hall, a, a professional wrestling hall of fame, in my opinion, the hall of fame loses all validity. These are two guys that absolutely deserve to be in every single professional wrestling hall of fame. And uh, let me just clearly state that it's not that I don't think that these two guys belong. It's just, that's the standard that whenever the discussion comes up and I, and I think it has more to do with the, uh, the amount of votes that they had received over the right. years. So, uh, getting back to Akbar, I think Akbar was, uh, in some ways, if you want to consider him for that, he had to be hurt by the fact that let's be honest, he was a bit of a homesteader for, uh, for Watts mm -hmm. and, you know, at Watts McGurk, he kind of like ran the gamut between those two territories uh, he didn't, it's not like he, uh, ben, did he, was he ever in Florida? Yeah. So he only as a wrestler, he was, okay. uh, I think we saw him both as Jim Webba, which I believe was his real name and Skandor Akbar prelim worker. Uh, last time we would have seen him probably 71. Okay. Who, my, who my is point, he, who my, is he related to? Do you remember? I can't remember that. There's somebody else that Skandar Akbar in professional wrestling that he was related to. And for some reason, I'm drawing a blank. I do know that Scam likely will have that answer for us, though, at some point. So, no, the point I was making was that uh, it's not like uh, Akbar, you know, is 1980 or 81 uh, was brought down to Florida to work a six month stretch in Florida. And then he followed up with a stretch in mid-Atlantic or, you know, he didn't like he wasn't a traveler. He maybe was very happy uh, working in the in the Southwest and uh, had good relations with the promotions. I don't know. But the, the point is, it's, it's not like he uh, took his act to the AWA as an example. Uh, you know, I'm just using that as an example. And maybe that's the kind of thing that people hold against him, because I can tell you that uh, people that I know that I'm friends with, uh, they love the guy uh, as far as the work that he did in Mid-South. But Mid-South was their kind of uh, home promotion. Uh, Lou checking in that uh, Frankie Kane, the great Mephisto, may there have been it is. Uh, his, uh, his cousin. So thank you, Lou, for that. I appreciate yep. that. So we'll post a link to this match. I thought it was a very solid TV match. As uh, Barry said, 12 minutes. Uh, it's uh, not a 60-minute uh, Broadway that you're going to have to invest a lot of time in. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the ring. You know, like it's not like you're watching 
you know, headlocks and chain wrestling. You got the involvement of Akbar, Grizzly Boone coming in. Uh, and that's good. Mulligan's commentary adds something to it. So there's a lot going on that makes this an entertaining 12. There's certainly a hell of a lot worse ways you can spend 12 minutes. And it's an interesting look at the Amarillo promotion after Mulligan and Murdoch uh, took over. Uh, I will say, I recently, like within the last couple of days, and I'll have to find the link, someone posted a link, and I don't know if you've seen this, Barry, to something from Amarillo. I want to say it was like 72, 73-ish. It's Dory and Terry doing a workout with their father and Dory Sr. doing commentary. Have you seen that clip? No, but that sounds like something we have to see. Yeah, that's it. It's about a, I want to say a seven-minute clip. What's interesting is, I don't know that I'd ever heard Dory Sr. speak and doing commentary. And he it's funny because he comes off, he's got this kind of raspy uh, voice like Terry. It's like a combination of Dory and Terry speaking, you know. Uh, he's got Dory's sort of speech, but with Terry's raspiness, if that makes any sense. But it's pretty interesting because he's, he's watching his sons work out and, you know, he's uh, sort of half jokingly say, well, you know, they're brothers and they get a little bit heated at one another because at one point, <laughs> go figure, Terry gets upset about something. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so if I can find that link, I'll post that along with this match uh, in our group, uh, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry on Facebook, and I think you'll really like it. It's a, it's a good a look at the Emerald promotion even before Mulligan and Murdoch took over. Barry, it's time once again for our favorite part of the show. Yes, it's Florida man or not. Barry Rose, are you ready back from vacation? And Jeff, just getting back from a week in beautiful, sunny Florida. So I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like first off, like I became Florida man. I was doing, uh, you know, like night swimming, crazy shit like that. that you know, Is like, your beautiful bald scalp nice and tanned? My beautiful bald scalp is peeling and looks like a roadmap to uh, Arizona at this point. So, okay. yeah. So, let's go with our first story. Are you prepared, Mr. Rose? No, not at all. Okay. Police say they're not joking about the weapon allegedly used during a recent theft at a store. In a news release on Friday, police said details about an alleged theft at a store that ended with an employee being struck, quote, a Mr. Solid Chocolate Bunny. Of course, you know, Easter uh, was just uh, this past weekend, Barry, so why not? Uh, officers were called to a business uh, in the three uh, 3400 block of Victoria Avenue, approximately 4 p.m., with a report of someone stealing merchandise. Police said the employee had confronted a suspect, a 27-year-old man, who grabbed the chocolate bunny and hit the employee, who sustained, quote, minor injuries. Barry, Florida man or not? Oh, Sir, well, again, with all assault these by chocolate bunny, Barry, you don't see that. Is that that's almost as crazy as a uh, a woman breastfeeding a hairless cat? As long as it's a hairless cat, you don't want yes. one with uh, you know hair. No, you definitely don't want that. I'm going to say the coin flip as usual. I'm going to say this is not Florida. It's a chocolate bunny. It's for Easter. This is taking place in uh, Iowa. Winnipeg, Manitoba. We went north of the border what? for that story. Yes, Barry. We don't get a lot of stories out of Winnipeg, but, you know, this time we did. So are you ready for the next story, Barry? No, not at all. Okay. 
Police report. A passenger on a Southwest Airlines flight allegedly masturbated in front of a woman on four, not once, four separate occasions on a flight telling cops, quote, he didn't do anything wrong and he actually thought it was kind of kinky. Wait, wait, where where was Javorski flying to? Well, you know, out of uh, Cleveland International Airport. Gotcha. So, okay. uh, but it is, was his name Javorski? Well, anyway. So, uh, Barry, Florida men are not, and I will give you Extra credit if you can name the two cities involved. <laughs> All right, Cleveland. I can mention Cleveland is not. <laughs> oh, it's Take, right? All right, because shit. If I uh, extra credit, if I can mention two <laughs> two cities out of the the fifty thousand cities that there are airlines. Well, I'm I'm willing to offer an extra. Credit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and if I can do this, I I'm I'm stopping the recording immediately. <laughs> I'm going to get lottery tickets exactly. because I clearly am I wasting my talent then. Uh, While you're thinking, I will further the story, Barry. Uh, right. The article says, quote, the sicko exposed his, <laughs> exposed his penis by pulling down his pants and shorts and proceeded to masturbate during the first hour of the flight. The wow. woman said in a criminal complaint, she suspected that, oh, wait a minute, Barry, it gets better. She suspected he, <laughs> that he ejaculated because, quote, he licked a white substance from his oh. fingers. Yes, Barry. Oh. He's enjoying the his own fruit of the loins, if you will. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, uh, so, so he's masturbated twice in full open, and then he's licking the ejaculate off of his finger. I, I believe that's the first time we've ever used the word ejaculate. Very wow. nice usage, Bear. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. This is this is one for the this is I mean wow <laughs> being on that flight oh my god uh, this is a Florida man this is he's got I me mean, my god he's got to be from Florida uh, the the two cities craziest state uh, he's coming from Miami and uh, I see what you did there he's he's doing what he's coming from where okay <laughs> exactly yeah well you know uh, it's going Miami to so it's it's a it's a longer flight. He's going Miami to Los Angeles. Actually, it's not a longer flight. Uh, so you got to give him credit for stamina because it's oh, a shorter is. flight. Seattle to Phoenix, Barry. It's like an hour. What the yeah, fuck? You know, four <laughs> times. Obviously, it's a younger man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. And, and, you know, it's not just not just the fact that he's doing it four times. It's that afterwards, he's, uh, he's cleaning up his own mess, which is oh. very polite of him, you know. Oh. So, eh. Oh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Next, oh. Barry, are you ready? No, absolutely <laughs> not ready after that. Yeah, you recover from the Seattle yes. to Phoenix. So, uh, Barry, the headline, woman nearly dies after eight-hour wedgie from high-waisted shorts. <laughs> and the, the article starts off with a very clever opening line. Who wears short shorts? Probably not her again. Yes, excellent literary content there. A woman shared that she, quote, could have easily died, unquote, after she contracted a bacterial infection from wearing high-waisted denim shorts for eight hours. Video recounted her near-fatal fashion disaster, and it was seen by more than 8 million people on TikTok. Quote, moral of the story, tight shorts are out wrote Sam, who goes by, I'm too old to be on this, on TikTok. It has apparently since set her account to private, go figure, under the clip chronicling the accidental atomic wedgie, which occurred three years ago while she was on a date. 
Speaking about the incident to BuzzFeed, the bedraggled, I like that word, bedraggled, the bedraggled girl recalled that she was wearing very uncomfortable clothes, which prompted her to pick out the high-riding hiney huggers. Oh, that's that's just good literary content. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> a pic which has been shared in a follow-up video several times during the eight-hour outing. Eventually, the girl opted to, quote, ignore it and just enjoy my time. But the next day, the girl began feeling very ill and noticed she had a large bump where the chafing had occurred. I hate the large bump as a result of chafing, Barry. I know you feel the same way. As time went on, it became more and more painful. The bewildered woman said the pain was isolated to one spot. I bet you can guess what that one spot is, Barry. And it felt like a throbbing, stabbing pain. The next day, she went to the doctor who gave her antibiotics for a possible skin infection and my ass crack. You got to love an article that includes the word ass crack, Barry. So, Barry, Florida woman or not? She absolutely is a Florida woman. This is – I got to back up for a second. Did we ever determine where the guy jerking off was from or did we – It was a Seattle to Phoenix flight. Oh, but we don't know where he was from though. Well, I'm going to say okay. I would have accepted either Seattle or Arizona. Or Phoenix, okay. So she's she's got to be a Florida woman. But th- these are the questions. You're wearing these shorts for eight hours that are causing a skin infection. Certainly got to be uncomfortable, at least by hour two or three. So you continue for the next give or take five hours to keep wearing these shorts. Maybe she's at a concert. There, She's at somewhere that she can't change. But – how old is she? She's absolutely from the state of Florida, though. Absolutely. First of all, have you ever worn uh, pants up into your ass crack where you get an infection, Barry? I, I'm no. just wondering. No. And I don't wear jean shorts. I did when I was a kid. I don't wear jean shorts, jorts. Yeah, I don't jorts, wear those yeah. either. Yeah. The woman, in fact, not from Florida. It is wow. from, as my friend John Hitchcock would say, North Kakalaki. Wow. Here. Yes, great, uh, great story though. Uh, okay, let's get to our next story. Do you have here. a photo of this young lady, Jeff? I well, if you are a subscriber to TikTok, maybe you could find out. Ah, okay. I've not uh, see one uh, here with the story though. Bear our next story. Quote: Like a Jersey Shore episode, sisters arrested for a drunken naked brawl. Mm. So Barry. Two sisters had an unforgettable experience. I will say the experience happened at Disney World. That does not necessarily mean that they were from Florida or from somewhere else, but it occurred at at Disney World. Uh, They had an unforgettable experience. Uh, Disney's news website, WDWNT, reports that the 29 and 20, uh, I'm sorry, 29 and 31 year old woman uh, got into a brawl that ended with them naked and arrested. The two women started their night out with dinner and drinks in Disney Springs, an outdoor dining and entertainment complex. Are you familiar with Disney Springs, Bear? Oh, very much so. Yep. Well, as they waited for their taxi afterwards, they began to argue. The arguing got physical when the older sister slapped the younger one. When police arrived, the younger sister was wearing only her underwear and sandals. Both of them were screaming and crying from the sheriff's report, quote, Both females were screaming at each other. The security manager said one female was sitting on a bench while the second female was standing over her after attempting to calm the situation. The security manager said one female slapped the other in the face. At that point, both females began punching, slapping, pulling hair. Once separated, both sisters ran at each other, slipped in the younger sister's vomit, then fell into the bushes (laughs) while fighting. The security manager stated the younger sister ran a few feet away, took off her dress, exposing her breast, 
Shortly after, they began to punch each other again. Holy shit, Barry, they must have been really fucking drunk. The yeah. security manager and another cast member who witnessed the fight were able to separate the two again until the off-duty deputies arrived on the scene. Holy shit, Barry, that must have been a hellacious brawl. Uh, and they gave it four stars, uh, as the people always see on Twitter. It wasn't five because it didn't take place in Japan. Anyway, Barry. I love that. Florida, Florida woman or not? Considering I think I've gotten one right and the other. This one is a Florida woman. Absolutely. New Jersey, the Jeez. Garden State. I can't win on this one. Barry, come on. It's uh, it's not too far from where you live. You should got that one. Barry, our next story. The headline. Cow set for slaughter escapes to a water park and rides the slide. Barry, I will tell you, after we discuss this story, there is a video of this. So, Barry... Oh. The story okay. reads, everybody loves a water slide, even cows. In a dramatic and bizarre run for freedom, a cow pegged for slaughter escaped from a cattle ranch uh, this week and bolted to an adjacent water park. So, so here's my first question, Barry, and then I'll continue with the story. So you got a water park, and there's like a slaughterhouse right next to it? What the fuck? I mean, come on. You know, you're <laughs> up there on the high, uh, the high slide. You look down, you see all the cows uh, prepped for slaughter. No, thank you. Anyway. Once there, the cow climbed the stairs of a water slide and slowly slid into the pool. Surprisingly, the slide, which is only supposed to hold 450 pounds, held firm under the bovines. First time we've ever used the word bovine, Barry. 700 pounds. So, Barry, did this happen in Florida or not? By the way, because of this and the expo media exposure, the cow granted a lifelong reprieve. I'm very happy to read that, Barry. That's good. That's good. His so name is now Tabuga. I have no idea why. Anyway, that's his name. Tabuga lives, folks. So, Barry, Florida or Florida cow or not? That's a Florida cow. Yeah, that's a Florida cow. Brazil, right outside of Rio de Janeiro. I almost slipped in and gave you a hint, Barry, because Tabuga means slide in Portuguese. Ah. Well, so that? there you go. Toboggan? There you go. Yeah. So have we done like a, a, a Florida man or not from uh, Brazil yet, Barry? I think that's that be our, don't our believe first so. Let me, hold on. I have to put the pin in the map, Jeff. Hold on. Mm -hmm. All right. We're good. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. So, okay. Our next story, Barry. Again, we are givers because we are offering so much Florida man or not content, Barry. Woman arrested after allegedly using a cat to batter her girlfriend. 53 year old woman was arrested this week after she allegedly used a cat to batter her girlfriend. Susan Freudenthal is said to have gotten into an argument with her female partner before picking up their cat, putting it next to her girlfriend's face, and swore on the and told her to swear on the animal's life that she was not cheating. Needless to say, the cat was none too pleased about being manhandled and scratched the girlfriend's face. When the girlfriend understood to have experienced minor lacerations to her face due to the cat's extremely sharp claws, you won't necessarily think that counts as a crime. However, police officers disagreed. Freudenthal was arrested on domestic battery charges. Officers cuffed her and took her from her home over the incident. Freudenthal didn't think she'd done anything wrong. In fact, she thought sure. she'd been pretty much done hard by the whole situation. Apparently, the defendant, upon being taken into custody, she was polite and compliant. Maybe they should have arrested the Catberry, but first of all, Florida woman or not. <laughs> they should have arrested the cat, exactly. Maybe. I the cat was the one responsible. Yeah, yeah. Give the cat to the guy that was jerking off on the airplane. Exactly. Jizz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. That seems like a good idea. Uh, 
considering I think I'm like one for eight at this point, uh, I just got to go. Yeah, of course she was from Florida. Florida woman, you're correct, Barry. Yes. You've got this one. I'm just trying to see where the instant uh, Largo. Largo. Oh, Tampa. Florida. That's Tampa, yeah. bud. That's so, right yeah. there. Right yeah. in your old uh, homestead area there. Yeah. Uh, let me just see if I've got any more. No, that'll wrap up Florida woman, Florida cow, Florida man or not. We offered a little bit of everything this week, folks. Barry, I told you about a movie that I had a chance to watch recently. And uh, I put some uh, feelers out there to the good folks uh, to see who wanted to do reviews for us. I want to thank our friends, uh, Kevin Dignam, Chris Spiker. And uh, I believe it was Ron Wing was the one who did the last one. Barry, you had a chance to watch this uh, fine Steven Spielberg-esque award-winning film, The Velocipaster. Oh, Barry. <laughs> what did you think of this piece of crap? Yeah. <laughs> and I say that, wait a minute. You know, there are movies that you understand going in that are pieces of crap. But you enjoy the fact. Hell, Jeff Zinger makes an entire career out of enjoying crappy films. True. Zinger. Uh, but, Barry, I knew going in that this was a piece of crap because the basic plot of the Lhasa Pastor is there's a guy who's uh, he's a priest who uh, is, uh, I'll just say, infected by the uh, the spirit of a uh, velociraptor, and so he becomes a Velocipastor, and all that happens to him. Oh, Barry, please share with the folks. Uh, I think the 20 to 30 minutes that you watched, what did you think? Yeah. So, and I should say too, much like Jeff Zinger, I uh, I love terrible movies. Most of the movies, like my top ten, there might be two solid, legitimate movies there. Big Lebowski, obviously, I would consider a legitimate movie, but most of my movies are smaller, independent, underground movies, and some would say they're bad. They're they're not good movies. So I've always gravitated. I, I don't like the big. You know, $50 million production movies. I always like these smaller hidden gems, sometimes the acting, whatever, but they're interesting. And, so, you know, I, I, let me just cut. One of the first films that we reviewed uh, after Easy Money, which is the very first episode, was the uh, the uh, complete piece of crap with uh, Emilio Estevez, the Stephen King uh, story. The, what was it? Um, where uh, the, the the comet has turned all the machines oh, against oh, us. Oh, maximum overdrive. Maximum overdrive. Which that, I mean, exactly the steaming piece of crap, but it's so funny it's that it's, it's 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 great <laughs> watching it, you know. But there, but there you go. So there's the difference between a, a bad movie that's enjoyable versus a bad movie that's just a bad movie, and. I and I love Maximum Overdrive. If it's on cable, I don't care. I'll fucking turn it on. I could watch it a million times. It's fun. It's got a great soundtrack. It's Steve, as Stephen King called it, a movie for morons. And he's right. I love a moron. I love it. With that, there were allegations that Stephen may have been under the influence of certain things when he uh, wrote the film adaptation of his story. I believe his story was called Trucks. Trucks, right. Uh, so this was, you recommend, well, I don't know if recommended, you you talked about this, we, we discussed this movie, and uh, I know that I saw a couple of people, I believe in our group or on Facebook, were saying, has anyone else seen this? I even think Cholominsky uh, had posted, just spent the afternoon watching this movie, Velocipaster. So I, I said, you know what, it's a Monday or Tuesday night, I have nothing else going on, I'm going to turn it on, and I did. 
and uh, immediately taken with what appears to be a budget of about $75 or $80. <laughs> I think and you're going high on that, but I anyway. I might be going high, <laughs> and uh, it's it, 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 the movie fails on every level. The direction is terrible. Obviously, a first-time director who should not have directed movies. The acting – you're not going to recognize any names here, I don't think, right? And uh, I think the only person in the entire production that had done anything other than this was the girl that plays his, I don't know, girlfriend. She apparently had a small part in um, The Deuce on HBO. Okay, so like a dead hooker on the show? Yeah, something like Somebody, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I sat down to watch it, and uh, it starts off slow very slow which, which is always a good way for a That's bad a way movie to start, start off yeah. exactly any movie let's start off really slow so yeah. we don't engage or hook the audience yeah, maximum overdrive had a drawbridge going up in exactly and, and, and watermelon who made who and the fucking acdc's yeah. blaring and it's it's fun it's stupid but fun but at the same time this starts off really slow and it's painful and and I, you and i were talking about this yesterday or the day before and and as far as I made it, and I only made it about 20 or 25 minutes max, he, he, he goes to China and they flash in, in big capital letters yes. on the screen, China in big capital red letters. And then he goes, oh, yeah, now I'm in China. And it's <laughs> clearly like he's, as you said, he's in Jerry Jarrett's backyard. Exactly. Like, this is not China. It's, it's like and, the, the Kamala video. <laughs> it's like Kamala video. It's exactly what it's like. Now, that I enjoyed because yes. that was cheesy. But within the next five months, I was I was out there. There was no hook here. There was nothing to hold me. If the movie, if you say it gets better or at least more exciting down the road, I might possibly try to watch it again. But I, I again, I hit this stage and I'm like, you know, I, I could be watching uh, anything <laughs> at this stage. Why am I watching uh, this movie? And I bailed. And I think I, as we discussed, I started watching the Jimmy Savile documentary, the series on Netflix. I won't go off on that now. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't finish this, Jeff. I apologize. No, no, no. That's fair. So just to uh, to give some thought before we go to our, our three reviews here. So uh, as Barry said, uh, the, the part where the guy goes, he literally, like, puts his hands on his hips. He's got a, a backpack that looks like, you know, like if you're going literally down the street. But this guy's traveling to China, and he has a backpack like you're going to the mall maybe, Okay. And uh, so he's obviously very well prepared for a trip to China. Uh, so anyway, so he's like, puts his hand on his hips. Ah, so this is China. And then I knew that, you know, this was this pl thing was going places. OK. And uh, so uh, he ends up uh, meeting a group of ninjas because, of course, you know, uh, any movie in China, there's going to be ninjas, uh, you know, anyway, it's a different country. But so anyway, uh, there's that. So he is infected. With this, uh, I don't know, this curse, this disease, that when he becomes angry, he turns into a velociraptor, okay? Now, what's great about this is, because Barry, I don't know if you saw this, in the early beginning of the movies when there are attacks, and he only attacks bad people, okay, let's make that very clear, he has a code, the only thing you see is like a hand reaching out and attacking and ripping throats and stuff like that. Later in the movie, you actually see him as he's become the Velocera pastor, 
and the production value on the uh, the change is right up there when uh, Chevy Chase used to do Land Shark on Saturday Night Live. Uh, it's uh, some supreme supreme effort put into the uh, the costume, no question about it. And, you know, Barry, you know what I thought of, uh, and I'm gonna break kayfabe to Barry Rose. All right, story that I don't think I've ever told you before. Uh, approximately hmm, 20, 25 years ago, my parents. Larry and Mary were extras in a movie that was being made locally in the Orlando area called Vampire Trailer Park. Okay. Wow. And uh, yeah, it, and it had about the production value of this movie, uh, where they uh, they their scene was they uh, were walking up to this trailer and they were being invited in for I don't know some sort of lunch or something like that. And of course they uh, they fell victim to the uh, the vampires. Okay. And so, uh, because of course, vampires are going to be in a trailer park somewhere in Orlando. Uh, yeah, go figure. But sure. uh, so this movie reminded me of my parents' acting debut. By the way, if you look it up on IMDb, there's actually an IMDb page for Vampire Trailer Park. It's hilarious. So, so this movie, uh, there are other parts. The guy, as I said, I don't know. He's a pastor. He's a priest. Uh, and because uh, uh, I, I, I guess he must be a priest because he hears confessions. And what happens is when he hears confessions where people confess to doing very bad things, that's when he takes his revenge uh, and becomes the Velocipastor and, and kills the bad people that are hurting other people uh, because he, of course, has a code. So now that we've kind of given you the plot summary, let's go first. Uh, I have two other reviews. Barry has one, so I'm going to go first with our uh, our friend Kevin Dignam, who writes, Velocipastor is film produced, written, directed by Brandon Steer. I love when Kevin does a little research, Barry, so thank yes. you for that, Kevin. He does a great job here for low-budget films. It reminds me a lot of the films Troma produced in its heyday. You familiar with Troma films, Barry? Very, yes, absolutely. Uh, Boyd fair Kaufman. Com fair comparison? 100% a fair comparison, yes. The movie, uh, Kevin says the movie starts out great and gives you a feel that it knows it's low-budget film with limitations. The fact it gives you locations in it without going to them is funny. At one point, one of the best names I've heard in a movie, Frankie the Mermaid, is introduced. While not being a good character in the film, his, fil his moments are funny, and you can see him get what's coming to him. At one point, the words hooker slash doctor slash lawyer are uttered, and I laughed my ass off at that. To see what happens in the film and how we get to the Velocipastor is fantastic. Even the transformation scenes are funny, and how everyone knows different languages without speaking them is fantastic. Velocipastor is, is worth a watch, and you'll have a great time watching it. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up on a riff track or Mystery Science Theater 3000 one day. And let me point out, uh, uh, thank you for that review, Kevin. Uh, movie at tops. Hour and 15 minutes, most. So, right. Barry, I believe next you have Chris Spiker's review. Why don't you tell us what Chris thought of this movie? Yeah, and I should say, too, uh, Chris Spiker and I were going to try to catch up and have dinner this past Saturday night as I was traveling from uh, Anna Maria Island, Florida, traveling up to my home right outside of Pen at a Philadelphia and Plymouth meeting. I always stop over in Fayetteville on that drive. Nice hotel, pet friendly, obviously. They know us, we know them. Uh, but unfortunately, traffic between, I guess, Easter traffic, people traveling and spring break ending for the Northeast got us in about two and a half to three hours late. So didn't get a chance to catch up. But Chris Spiker's review, uh, I had already viewed this with Dr. Spiker, but when asked to review it- Name for this, dropper. Right, exactly. We should all be marrying doctors at this point. 
when asked to review it for this fine award-winning podcast, I couldn't say no. If the filmmaker's goal was to make a terrible film, they understood the assignment. This was absolutely de delightful in a horrible B-movie way. At 71 minutes, they kept it at tight and they kept it tight and didn't drag out the minuscule budget or the schlock. Well, cheap trick. She's humor. tight. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. With ninjas, dinosaurs, and hookers, this film takes you on a better ride than an Uber ride through Hopewell, Virginia. Wow. Even getting one of those references in there. Nice. <laughs> Chris, bringing the fire. <laughs> bringing it. Uh, the movie's plot involves a pastor who turns into a raptor and fights evil forces, such as the five-cent Ron Jeremy lookalike pimp character, as well as ninjas, one of which shares a relation to our main character. In between these tests of faith and humanity in our main character also comes another test or maybe it should, when he falls in love with a hooker. How does she look, Barry? I, again, I didn't make it that far. <laughs> Jeff, how does she look? How does that hooker? Uh, you know, a uh, couple drinks on a late Saturday night. Eh, you know. All right, fair enough. Father Jones's transformation sequences into the aforementioned main character uh, make Bill Bixby roll in his grave. I popped every time for the cheap dinosaur suit. Guy like could do every time Barry Rose is asked about his server or manager days. Check. Uh, the, plot, the plot is as thin as my son's max patience, but the humor and campiness levels are definitely not. I highly recommend it as there are worse ways to spend 71 minutes of your day. There is a fun sequence where the pastor thinks that he and the hooker had sex and she was actually talking about him when she saw him turn into a raptor for the first time. So when they finally do the thing, it comes along with a musical montage and is followed by a 10-second epileptic seizure and then more ninjas. I can't make this up. I'll tell you what. He may have just sold this for me as well, Jeff. That, that right there, I, he did. Spiker, nice job. I'm now watching this movie. Uh, in closing, well, let's let's recap, Barry. Ninjas, hookers, velociraptors. Go ahead. Well, it's this it's this paragraph. So when they finally do the thing, that's sex. It comes along with a musical montage and is followed by a 10 second epileptic seizure and then more ninjas. That, that right there is a major selling point. <laughs> in closing, IMDb noted that the film's grainy look came uh, from after filming when the director put the film itself in an oven and baked it at 10 minutes at 200 degrees. If this is true or not, I can almost guarantee that wasn't the only thing about this that was baked. Thank you for your time. Have you heard this story about it being? I, I have oven? not. Good God! What? What? Why would he put a film in an oven and bake uh, it? To apparently make it uh, look like uh, you know your uh, what do you call it? your your Tarantino films uh, death proof and uh, didn't quite work actually. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, <laughs> there's no comparisons to Tarantino uh, in this movie. Yes. Yes. Uh, Barry, I do have to apologize. I said Ron Wayne. The third review is by Ron Gamble. Ron, my apologies for that. You're the uh, same guy. What are you doing? You're apologizing. So, so wait a minute. So what Ron Wayne is his kayfabe name? How dare you, Ron? Yes, same guy. I take back my apology. I, now we got heat. Anyway, Velocipastor. Yes, I stink. I got busy when I planned to watch it on a Monday, then was busy on Tuesday and Wednesday. Apparently, Ron's a very busy individual and forgot about it until Wednesday night at 10. 
I'm sorry, but I'm a stinky stink. I stink. The Velocipastor is the greatest pastor turned into dinosaur movie ever. Now, he has a point there, Barry. <laughs> I think he's a pastor, isn't he? Exactly. I think he's a pastor, yeah. But let me expand. First off, the special effects in this movie are some of the most realistic I've ever seen. The death of Doug's parents in the opening scene especially stand out as outstanding. You did see that scene, right, Barry? I did, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. When the scene is recalled later from a different angle by the respectful character Frankie Mermaid, it was still jaw-dropping. After this, Father Doug Jones is told by his mentor, Father Stewart, to travel, quote, where God will not follow, unquote. He chooses China. This all seems to fly in the face of the line, God is everywhere, but I've never been to China, so I don't know if God goes there or not. Before I continue, Greg Cohan is quite tolerable as Father Jones. Daniel Steer is capable as his mentor, Father Stewart. Uh, Lisa Kemp Kempinski is acceptable as Carol. She's the one that was also in the Deuce Bear. And uh, Chai Chang Yang is quite adequate as Wei Chang, the head of the Chinese gang. Carol is a pre-law slash med student. Remember, remember uh, what he called Animal House? Uh, what do you call uh, the guy uh, uh, who was a Tim Matheson's character? Uh, uh, otter. Otter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a pre-law. I thought you were pre-med. Uh, same thing. Uh, so anyways, uh, who is working her way through college as a hooker, uh, you know, anything to pay off the student debt. She gets mixed up in the whole priest-turned-dinosaur fiasco by being in the wrong place at the wrong time and delivers the greatest line in movie history, quote, there's surprisingly little demand for hooker-doctor lawyers. After Father Jones tells Father Stewart his secret, he defends himself by quoting Leviticus 24, 24, and Matthew 32, 6. I'm shocked that the writer quoted those lines of scripture accurately. So there's more killing, more flashbacks, and in the end, Carol and Doug fight ninjas in China, because of course they do. This may be the only place where you see ninjas fighting dinosaurs outside of a game of smash-up. Trust me, the board game players are now rolling on the floor. Again, this is the greatest priest-turned-dinosaur movie in history. Bravo to, well, someone. Ron. And now I see uh, Wayne uh, Gamble again. How dare you uh, kayfabe me on that, Ron? Thank you so much for your review. Barry, Velocipastor, will you now give it a second chance? I will. And again, a lot of it is uh, what Spiker, and, and being that I'm 20 minutes into it, there's only about 15 minutes left. I will give it a second chance. I will. Uh, I, I got to see the hooker stuff with the ninjas and seizures. Yes. All right, Barry, before we start thinking about doing the go-home, we're just about round in the corner. Barry, why don't you tell us about some of the fun things you did on vacation in Florida? I know you have some food stories. Yeah, I do. And and uh, I guess another serious moment for uh, breaking kayfabe with- This is like, what, the third one this week? Holy yeah, we don't, we don't really do a lot of that, but I was- uh, you know, I was really fortunate. And as I get older, uh, I don't want to say more mature. I'm definitely not mature, but I wouldn't say that far. Exactly. As I get older and I guess as I understand what's important in life, the fact that I was able to take a uh, a road trip, you know, drove back and forth from Philadelphia, PA to uh, Anna Maria Island, I did it with Zoe. I did it with my 17-year-old daughter that I we mentioned earlier in the show would be going to Pitt. And it's it's so special for me. I, I, I'm i such a, a big mush ball in a sense that, you know, I, I'm a proud father. I love my kids. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you know the love that I had for my kids. And being able to, to go down to Florida and spend a week with her 
it's I it's just the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I, I can't say enough. And, you know, we we recently as a brothership, we lost Joe Christie. And uh, Joe was a guy uh, had a heart of gold, had a great sense of humor. Joe is uh, a guy, you know, I, I I mentioned a couple of shit stories, maybe within the first two months of us doing the podcast, which is over four years ago, approaching five. And Joe, you know, up until he passed away, would still, if he found anything that was related to fecal matter, would post it in our Facebook group and would attach me to it. And he just had a heart of gold. He had really been dealt a bad hand. He passed away from cancer. And uh, what Joe had been through over the last couple of years with the cancer, I, I'm not going to share it because he had shared it privately with me. Uh, but it, these were stories that I'll never forget. And uh, it, it just, it broke my heart. And yet Joe, during this period, didn't come out as bitter, didn't come out as uh, somebody that was angry. Joe was just, he was very calm when I spoke with Joe and we had two phone conversations and he, he was, he was so hopeful to be able to make it down to the fan fest. He had won, you know, a, basically a, a full expenses paid trip to Florida and the fan fest through the graciousness of uh, Jana and Frankie Seacrest. And I was so happy that he, cause he certainly deserved it. Uh, and I was so happy that he did win this. And unfortunately, I guess uh, about three weeks before his passing, they had basically told him that the medication, there was nothing else we could do for you. And that, you know, unfortunately, this was terminal and there was little more that we could do. And I want to say within the last week of his life, and I don't know this for a fact, but Joe had been silent on social media, leading me to believe that, you know, he was entering into the final stages. And Joe was a young guy. I want to say he was 39, Jeff. And it, it truly, look, you faced death two years ago uh, when you faced, and I know you shared that you thought you were going to die, Jeff. And, you know, it, and I think everybody that gets cancer, that's probably one of the first thoughts that goes through your head is, am I going to die? And, and I, I think a lot of it, I think the point really, as I get into my trip and all this is that, you know, when we're younger, and again, I speak for somebody that lived a life, I moved around, I lived in big cities, I just, I did a lot, and I wanted to experience, and, you know, as you get older, you start to understand what's important for you, Jeff, you know, the most important thing for you is your family, and the way it should be, first off, but, you know, your relationship with your wife, you know, you made mistakes when you were younger, and you had other marriages, which you've discussed, per, you know, but your relationship with your wife, as you're older now, and you understand so much more, you've got what I consider maybe the perfect relationship, you have a, such an amazing relationship with your wife, and, uh, it's really understanding that it's it's understanding what's important. And I say all the time, you know, if you have the chance to meet somebody, you know, whether it's TV, music, wrestling, doesn't matter if there's somebody who's made some sort of an impact in your life, do it because you don't know if you're going to be around or if they're going to be around. If there's a concert you want to go to, don't put it off. Get in the car. Make that drive. Go live your life. Live, people. Live because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And when you lose somebody like Joe, and Jeff, you lost your father within the last year, we never know, we never know any of this. So 
the fact that I was able to take a road trip with my daughter for a week and not the first one, we did it last year too. It means everything to me. It, it literally is uh, maybe the most important thing in my life, being able to spend time with my kids and, and just being able to create memories and, and thoughts with them. It means so much. So whew, with that, uh, we we had a truly amazing time and we uh and i gotta say zoe had approached me a couple of months back and said dad i'm off during spring break uh these are the dates do you think we could go to florida go somewhere to a beach and i said zoe i don't know if i can really do it this year i've got a lot of trips coming up over the next four months and she said what if i find a place and it's reasonably affordable I said, absolutely. Well, to Zoe's credit, and I'll always consider, I always talk about our family, even though her mom and I are no longer married, I, I consider us still a family, right? And we're a family. And I always say Zoe is the most uh, logical and normal of any of us. Uh, and Zoe found a place on Anna Maria Island. It is was the best location of anywhere I had ever stayed on the island in my 25 trips there. And uh, and she did it. And it was actually affordable, which was the other wasn't glamorous. It wasn't like a real fancy, you know, mansion or anything. But you know what? It served the purpose of why we were there. So through her due diligence, she found us a place and uh, we showed up and we immediately like were my God, this was great. So we spent the week and we did a lot of beaching. Uh, We spent a lot of time at the pool. <clears throat> cough. We didn't have a pool, but there's a hotel a block and a half away. Ah, you faved your way into the pool. <laughs> oh, I did. Uh, I absolutely did. And uh, and I think that would be the biggest issue with the house was there was no pool where we had always had a pool. But we, I, we, we went to the pool. Nobody gave a shit. We went to the pool probably every day. I got coffee every morning at the hotel, complimentary coffee. Uh, and, and that was really nice. And that really was based off the location. But we spent a lot of time on the beach. Uh, we, we took an amazing boat ride through Sarasota Bay in Boca Ciega. And we brought Ozzy along and it was Ozzy's first ever boat ride. And I got to tell you, the kid was a natural. Ozzy at eight and a half years old was on the, the, the bow of the boat. And staring at the water, we saw dolphins, there were stingrays, a lot of fish jumping. And every time Ozzy would start barking and just he loved it and we loved it as well. And uh, I highly recommend if anyone ever goes to Anna Marie Island, Joe Stassi, uh, I know that you go to Anna Marie Island. I will give you the captain's name. I hi- It's my second time with her. I highly recommend it. Uh, we saw some amazing sunsets. We also visited the Jimmy Buffett Hotel, uh, which is called Latitude and fantastic. But of course, if I'm taking a trip and I got to say both my kids have been indoctrinated into this food is going to become a priority, right? So it's a, a lot of people will say, do you take vacations just eat? And while I don't, uh, each meal, but even each meal up here means something to me. I always put emphasis on my meals and food. So, uh, our first meal that we had, uh, I should say was Publix. My first meal was a Publix and I got the delicious chicken tender sub never disappoints. I believe it's the best sub I've ever had highly recommended, but burgers and Burger restaurants really come into play when I'm with Zoe. So Culver's was our first real burger stop. 
and uh, Zoe loves Culver's, and uh, we almost always get the same thing. It's a double pickles, onions, uh, maybe a little mayo. We get pretzel bites. We get the cheese so I can dip the burger in the cheese sauce as I'm looking to accelerate a heart issue. Uh, get fries. We always get custard. The next day, we stopped at a steak and shake. And I hadn't been to Steak and Shake in several years. They they had gone through a lot of restructuring and reorganization, and a lot of the stores have closed nationally. Uh, Pennsylvania had several; they've all closed. But I got to say, Steak and Shake was fantastic. They they appeared to have fixed certain issues, and the staffing was great. The food was excellent. It was an excellent burger. Uh, reminded me, strangely enough, of of uh, Shake Shack, just at about a third of the price. Uh, the fries, everything hit on that level. Uh, we did Culver's twice more on that trip. And then we also went to Anna Maria Island's famous Smokehouse. And Smokehouse is a, a restaurant. There's only one location, and it is the best burger I I have had in years. It would be my favorite burger currently and it's essentially a uh, third of a pound of meat it is seasoned it is made out of brisket they put their fry sauce on it which is this special blend of i'm assuming ketchup mayo mustard onion pickle and then a spice that i'm not familiar with while that doesn't sound amazing let me tell you it is and let me, we went, let me just interrupt you How please far <laughs> is that particular restaurant from the convention in Lutz? Smokehouse is an hour and 15 minutes away. Okay, I didn't know if it was close enough to where it, it could be. It sucks. A- yeah, that's what sucks. And I, I would say if there was any way we could, you know, yeah, it's just unfortunately it's too far. And if you were making a day and going to the beach, you're not a beach guy, but if you were going to go to the beach, it's perfect. It literally, you could walk. It's It's on the opposite side of the street of the beach. You know, there's like uh, Golf Drive, which is one lane or two. So I think it's two lanes, one in each direction, and there's the beach. The burger is so good. It's 10 bucks for the burger. The fries are reminiscent, I think, of In-N-Out or, or Steak and Shake. They're the thin shoe strings. They also give you the fry sauce. But I got to tell you, the burger wins on every level. And immediately as I'm there, I'm like, Zoe, we could open up one of these near us if we figure out how they're doing the burgers, because for 10 bucks, it's, it's a good deal. Like it's a quality burger. You feel like the bun is great. It's a brioche bun. You feel like you're getting something. So we had it twice, two nights in a row. And then the third day, Zoe went back for lunch and brought us back. I actually got a different sandwich. I got the Korean beef. She got another burger, but we ate a lot of burgers uh, over this trip. Went out for seafood one night. This is a great story. This is a story that, as we've talked about service and things like that, this will endear you to this this place. A place called the Swordfish Grill. It's on Cortez Bay, right on the water. Large restaurant, great seafood. We got, uh, I should say, uh, Zoe got, I, I, let me tell you what I got. I actually, I got the shrimp and grits. I know you're a fan. No, oh, you can never go wrong with that. Best shrimp and grits I've ever had by far. The, really? Yeah. So the sauce that it came in was a buttery, cheesy, herbed sauce. Ten shrimp, eight shrimp, I apologize, but medium size, good size shrimp, 
But Zoe didn't even care about the shrimp. What she wanted was the the grits, which she was calling rice, and the sauce, which was fantastic. She got fried shrimp. We also got fried calamari as an appetizer. So when the server came over, I said, oh, I'm going to take the stone crabs. Stone crabs I've talked about. The, to me, the most indulgent item I'll ever eat, and I love them to death. And she said, I'm so sorry. We just ran out of stone crabs. And I was like, oh, tell me you didn't. And two minutes later, she comes back and she said, I could tell by the look on your face how much you wanted them. She said, I have a bag of stone crabs I was taking home tonight. I'm going to bring you over a plate of three of these stone crabs. Wow. That's so, uh, that's pretty nice. These stone crabs on their own were $10 a piece. So she brought over $30 with the stone crabs. They were also, Jeff, a gift. She did not wow. charge. I uh, would certainly uh, expect that you uh, took care of her at the end of the night. So it was a 40% tip, which uh, I, and again, the service was good. So there wasn't, but she was friendly. She was personable. And she really, that is a gesture uh, of trying to do, you know, it, tips was, if I'm correct, and I've always heard this story, the word tip uh, was an acronym for to ensure proper service, right? And this server went above and beyond, made me, it just made my day, right? Like, you know, you gave, I, I wanted stone crabs. And while I didn't have a stone crab dinner, you shared your own personal stash of these uh, beautiful crustaceans with us. So I did. I hooked her up with 40%. It was an amazing dinner. Zoe again said the shrimp and grits might be the best thing she had ever eaten. And uh, it, this was also, again, that little gesture. Was it a little? Maybe not. Maybe it was a big gesture. But the gesture by the server also ensured that I will go back to this restaurant time and time again, and I will look for this server every time I do to remind her of what she did and how important it was in my eyes, what she did and how I want her to take care of me every time I do go back there. And how far is this from loot? <laughs> also, Jeff, you're also within that uh, hour and oh, 15 hour and 30 minutes. Yeah, it's far. It's, now you got it's me hankering for shrimp and grits. But I will tell you, Jeff, I have no problem with you and I. If we can make this work, we us getting in the car, we do the burger for lunch. We I know you're not a beach guy, but we find something else to do in the afternoon. And then we go hit this up for dinner because, again, the shrimp and grits and the burger both are at a different level. And I'm not exaggerating with that. The highlight of all the meals that we had would have been this Mexican restaurant we went to on our last night. So Zoe wanted to go to a place called Hurricane Hanks, which is a usual stop for us on Anna Maria Island. And uh, she wanted the Gouda mac and cheese topped with fresh lobster meat. And I said, Zoe, look at this Mexican place and let me know what you think. And she said, you know what, Dad? I know you want to go there. Why don't we go there? And I said, Zoe, Again, I, I was I didn't want to disappoint her. And I said, if you got your heart set on Hanks, I'm really OK with that. And she said, no, she goes, I can go for Mexican. Boy, were we happy that we did. So place is called Don Tequilos, Don Tequilas, Tacos and Tequila. And it popped up on Facebook. It was a Facebook ad. It had targeted me 
I guess I was within the driving distance. And it was Wait only- a minute, are you saying Facebook okay. targets you? Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah Facebook yeah. targets all of us, obviously. Yes. And uh, so we went there and boy, so the first thing when you walk in, you re- you're in a Mexican restaurant, large Mexican restaurant in Bradenton, Florida. And you realize when you walk in that about 80% of the tables are are of Hispanic descent. So first off, I'm like, we I think we just may have made a good decision here. Sit down, server, friendly, lovely woman as well, uh, but really friendly. We're at a table for 90 seconds. They've already dropped off warm chips and salsa, and they brought the salsa out in these little half carafe size that usually you would put wine in or sangria, and then you pour it into uh, little bowls and you dig it. Chips and salsa, fantastic. We ordered, and we ordered uh, house-made guacamole, which was fantastic. I mean, that that couldn't have been any better for us right there. Uh, and then we ordered a beefy queso dip. My God. I could I could take a bath in this and or be hooked up to an IV of this stuff. It was a, a warm, cheesy queso topped with what was essentially taco meat. And I got to tell you, it, it was out of this world. Uh, we How devoured. far is this place from Lutz, by the way, Barry? <laughs> sadly, sadly, Jeff, also God. in that realm of 90 minutes. But maybe we maybe you come in a day early and, <laughs> yeah, and we and we just make that. a couple of trips and we could do a few meals down in this area uh, because I, I, I'll go back to all these places I've mentioned. Uh, though I had been I'd never been at the Mexican. I'd been at the other two of quite a few times. Uh, the beefy queso was out of this world. And then we got our tacos. So we had, and the reason I wanted to go was I had mentioned this on a previous episode. There's Beria tacos and Beria tacos. It's a fairly new trend over the last year or two. Brandon Rice knows about this because he's posted about this, but Beria tacos are essentially beef tacos that you dip into almost an au jus. And it's the It's the sauce of the meat mixed with some Mexican spices and jalapenos and onions, and it's just delicious. And you dip the taco in there, and Zoe had wanted to do it. So we did it, and then we dipped it into the birria and then the queso as well. I mean, gluttonous beyond belief, but Zoe said, oh, my God, is that amazing? Jeff, oh, my God, was that amazing? And it was just a great great experience from service to food, but the quality of food. And I walked out and I said, I think that's the best Mexican I've ever had. And I stand by that. I truly do believe it's the best Mexican I've ever had. But uh, Zoe was happy. I was happy. Uh, It was so good that I dreamt about it overnight. And I woke up the next morning and I'm like, Zoe, you're not going to believe it. But I just dreamt about the Beria tacos. And she goes, what was it? And I said that I, I took a whole group of people there and we were all splitting tacos, uh, but really excellent. And uh, and again, I, I I say this every time. And I, I think that I, I think you understand it, Jeff, because, again, you faced cancer last year. Uh, you know, I, I faced a divorce. And, and while I I bounced back greatly from the divorce and if anything, you know, 
going into it and the separation, I was scared. I don't know if scared is the right word, but I was, maybe I was, maybe I was scared. I was nervous. I was, you know, what's going to happen at this stage and, and, you know, how am I going to be and how am I going to react? And you start to think about everything in your life. You know, you really start to look at it and being able to spend time a week with my daughter and I look, she'll be off going off to college in, in, in a few months in four months, actually. And, and things change, you know, your kids go off to college. Everything does change. She is going to change and she'll grow up and all this. And it, it means everything to me. It, it literally does. So I encourage you, you know, if you've got, uh, whatever it is, whether it's your spouse whether it's uh, a mate, uh, children, whatever, hold on to them, spend that time, enjoy every moment that you're with them. And at the same time, uh, if you get the chance to do so, you know, I, I, I've mentioned my girlfriend on air and I, I've had a girlfriend now for five or six months. And she said to me, uh, yeah, that's your, uh, your younger girlfriend, isn't it, Barry? That's my younger girlfriend. And Check. Check. And I've said, uh, you know, I, I said to her, I, we're going to see Tears for Fears this year, and we're going to see him in a couple of different cities. And, you know, I'm just going to get in the car and I'm going to go, whatever, right? And I said, you know, who's your favorite artist? And she said, well, I've always wanted to see Bruno Mars. We have very different tastes in music. But she said, I've always wanted to see Bruno Mars in concert. And I said, what's stopping you? And she said, uh, I don't know. And I said, why don't we see where he's playing? Why don't we get in the car? And why don't we go? What's stopping us from doing that? And she said, there's nothing stopping us. And she's right. And so I encourage you, you know, look, and there are limitations for people, whether it's financial transportation, et cetera, that I get. But live your life. Live. Enjoy. Do. And again, we lost our brother, Joe Christie. Jeff, if I'm correct, is this the first? I know we lost Kevin Carter's wife a few years ago. Uh, which was, you know, that was a very sad thing. But have we lost a core brothershipper before? I don't believe that we have. And I might be wrong. My memory's not great. But losing Joe is a tough thing because, you know, he's we interacted with Joe. We never met Joe, but we interacted with Joe literally probably on a daily basis for the last four years. And it's tough. And tomorrow's not promised for any of us. And I encourage everyone live. Go fucking do what you got to do. Don't if you're putting it off for some reason, don't, you know, tell your spouse how much you love them. Go spend time with your kids. Do it. Live, live and understand what's important to you and make it happen, Jeff. So a couple things. Uh, let me mention that uh, our friend uh, Dan Farron and his wife, Mary Lou, uh, they had gone to some sort of. I don't know, like Hollywood. I know they live out in uh, it's California. The, Jeff, it's the Hollywood Collector, which is a major, okay, major and, and, fan no, no, fest out in California. And, yes. and so they went there, and he posted a picture of his wife Mary Lou wearing a uh, a t shirt from the old TV show Laredo with William Smith on the cover. Yes, one of the stars. And he said, "People ask me, does my wife mind?" me going to these different events and, you know, and, and he put, I think he said, dragging her to these different events. And he said, not only does she not mind, she likes going there and experiencing this. And that's why she's wearing, then, you know, she's wearing this shirt with William Smith on it. So absolutely. I completely understand 
uh, what you're doing and, you know, and, and experiencing that. And obviously Dan and Mary Lou uh, enjoy doing stuff like that. And they're, they're posting pictures of, of people from TV shows. God, when I was a kid, you know, and uh, so, you know, uh, big shout out to both of them for, for having fun and doing that. So let me just, uh, a couple things came to mind that I wanted to ask you. So I happen to, believe it or not, even with my uh, unfortunate uh, loss of hair in the Barry Rose tradition, uh, I still have to get my hair cut, not as quite as often as I'd like, but I do. So uh, I go to the same girl uh, here locally, and her name is Amanda, and she's getting married, I want to say like in June. Uh, so anyway, so I was, you know, as I was getting my hair cut, we were chit-chatting, uh, and so I said, oh, your plan's going well, and she was telling me all about, you know, everything she and her uh, her fiance are doing. So she tells me this story, which I thought was hilarious. And I said, you know, I said, uh, one thing that I appreciate uh, about my wife is that she's my best friend. And Sorry, Barry. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> sa- I, I said, honestly, I said, my first two wives, uh, I love them. I don't want anything bad to happen to either one of them. But I realized at some point that I didn't like them. And, and I think, uh, you know, people underestimate, uh, you know, uh, having a strong relationship uh, that you can base a marriage on. You know, you have to have a certain compatibility. It can't just be, I mean, quite frankly, I'll say it. The first marriage that I had was completely sex. And, you know, uh, we both loved it. And, you know, at some point about like six to nine months into the marriage, you were like, okay, what am I going to spend the rest of my life talking with this woman about? You know, sex was great, but we had almost nothing in common, which is pretty sad. So I'm talking, uh, not about that, but I'm talking to my, uh, my, uh, barber about this situation. So she tells me about this friend of hers who's also set to get married sometime over the summer. So she tells me, Barry, tell me if this isn't, uh, the old warning signs on the road ahead. Okay. So her friend and her friend's fiance are getting ready to be married this summer and they're in couples counseling. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, isn't that like a warning sign, you know, that, that, that maybe you should uh, be uh, considering your options here. But I just said, wow, that's a that's a horrible way to, to, to start your marriage, like already you're in counseling, you know. And and I told her about when I was getting ready to be married to my second wife, that uh, we were going to uh, uh, got married in a church and part of. Uh, what the church required before you got married was they wanted you to go spend time with another uh, couple that was involved in the church. And the, I guess the premise was, if you have any questions about what married life will be like uh, or, you know, problems that you'll encounter, this couple could offer you advice and suggestions on how you might approach things. OK, and which the premise is there's nothing wrong with the premise. OK. We pull up to the people's house. OK. And by at the at the time, my fiance. As I turn off the car, kind of taps me on the shoulder, looks at me and says, okay, here are the things that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> and I told I told somebody later, I said, yeah, right there, that should have told me. Uh, maybe there are some problems that were uh, getting ready to, uh, to hit me in the ass because, uh, you know, uh, we're going in to talk to these people, but here's the things we can't talk about. Yeah, you know, Bear, that, that was not a, a good sign. Uh, so... <laughs> As you're telling the story about uh, spending your time with Zoe and and how much it meant to you, uh, I thought of the question. So, Barry, how old is Zach now? Zach is 21 years old. Okay, that's that's what I thought, but I just want to make sure. So, tell me, and this is all going to tie back into what I was just discussing. 
Barry Rose, at your current age, uh, 65, 66, whatever. You <laughs> say, yeah. If you could go back and talk to 21-year-old Barry Rose. Sure. Okay. What would be one piece of advice that you'd give 21-year-old Barry Rose? Grow up. Don't live for the moment at this age and save your money. So my one piece of advice to 21-year-old uh, Jeffrey Bowdrin would be don't fall in line with your friends and get married while you're young. Because I really think that, I mean, unless it's a special circumstance, when you get married, especially if you get married in your early 20s or, God, your teenage years, the the problems that you are going to face, you just don't have any concept of. And, you know, it's why – you know, I, I first time I got married, I was 23 and she was 19. We had no chance of making it. It was just ridiculous, yeah. you know. And when I got married for the second time, I was, uh, let me do the math here. Uh, I was 30 years old and still, you know, I mean, I hate to say this. A week after we got married, I said to myself, ah, I might have made a big mistake here. I have never, ever said that about my marriage to Kim. I mean, I'm very proud of saying that I, I've never said that I made a huge mistake. And you want to know why? Because when I married Kim, I had fucking grown up and I was mature. Well, I, I don't know if I was mature, but I'd grown up and I was ready to face the challenge. And, you know, like every other couple, Kim and I've had, you know, disagreements. We've had issues, uh, you know, that we've faced, uh, you know, personally, financially. And, you know, I have sat there and told her, look, we can decide uh, this is either going to end our marriage, this issue or it's going to make us stronger. But whatever we do, we need to go into it together. We need to face this issue together and we'll get through it. And that's what we've done, you know, and we've been together as of next month. Hold on here, Barry Rose, 23 years we've been together, not married, but we've been together for 23 years. And, you know, it, it, I really wish that I had been smart enough, uh, you know, to realize that you have to do a certain amount of growing up. You have to have a certain amount of maturity to get into a lifetime relationship, you know, I don't want to be one of these fucking people that are married five and six times, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, my parents were married 70 years and, you know, was my parents' marriage perfect? No, they had problems like everybody else. I'm absolutely sure of, but they got through it because in part, because they were part of a generation that didn't just cut and run, you know, they worked through it and, you know, God bless him for that. Anyway, so Barry, I'm very happy that you got to spend that time with with Zoe. I'm sure it means a lot. I know all the time I spend with my kids uh, are always well worth it, and I enjoy that. So, Barry, as we begin to uh, finally go across the finish line, I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, first of all, before I do, Barry, any uh, last thoughts on your trip with Zoe? No, and Ozzy, I don't want to forget Ozzy. Oh, and Ozzy was, uh, oh my God, does he have so much fun down there as well? Ozzy loves it. Uh, I love my walks with Ozzy, but no, I, uh, I'm headed back down for the Fan Fest in June. Where is that taking place, Barry? It's wow, we almost place. forgot that little plug. Yeah, I didn't want to. I felt this was such a heartfelt thing when we're talking about Joe. I didn't want to turn this into a plug, and that's a little. Uh, but 
Uh, it does take place June the 4th in Lutz. Uh, tickets are still available. Uh, but yeah, I, I probably are going to stop right there. But I won't be back down until June. I am going to show up hopefully a few days early and maybe spend a week down there at the hotel and enjoy myself. So, uh, Jeff, if you do see yourself and Kim, if Kim joins you and you make it in a little bit earlier, uh, then maybe we could make a trip down and either grab burgers, Mexican or or shrimp and grits. Oh, there you go. I'm already for that. Speaking of which, before I do the final uh, little thing I want to talk about, I don't want to forget that Barry and I uh, were talking recently, and we'll go back to the food talk really quickly. And uh, Barry, I was out at dinner, and this situation came up, and you can discuss what you told me. So you're at a restaurant, and you are thinking that you want – now there's two items that both look really attractive to you. And, you know, it's not like one is $5 and the other is 30. Uh, but let's just say there are two items that are within a couple of bucks of one another. Okay. And my question to Barry, as I asked the server, I said, oh, what do I want tonight? Which one of these is better? Barry, as a server, have you ever been in a position <laughs> where management told you, if asked that question, always select the more expensive item for the customer? Have you been put in that position, and what do you think about that? Uh, I, so I have been put in that position. There are, and, and I should say, as a manager, unless you were going to go in a different route, I have never done that. I've never. I would push people. You know, there, there's so much that goes along with it, obviously, but I wouldn't push them to sell the most expensive items. That's on them because that's going to increase their tips. Obviously, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. What I would tell them is. Uh, you know, push the items A that you like. Uh, but if somebody says to you, you know, should I get this chicken that might be $15 or the steak that's 20, uh, which do you like better? Don't lie. Don't don't say you like the steak more because it's $5. Be honest and tell people what you truly do like. Uh, so as a server, I, I did work for restaurants that would do that. Again, I was managing restaurants. I didn't own a restaurant. I think if you own it, it there might be a different philosophy. But I, I always found that as being, uh, you know, if it, I could recommend to you a $40 item and maybe you would go, God, I hated that. You know, like it was terrible. Whatever, whatever it might be, be honest, because if you're not in restaurants, when it comes to recommending food, that could turn around and bite you right in the ass. You recommend a $40 item and somebody goes, this isn't what I expected. I don't want this. Please take this off my check. You're now out to 40 bucks and the item, you know? So be honest. I think that's the best way to go. Yeah. And, you know, I asked, uh, we were out at a restaurant the other night and I asked the server, I gave her the scenario and she said, well, you know, uh, they don't do that here, which quite frankly, I'm not surprised that she <laughs> said, even if they did that, they, oh no, they don't do that here. Uh, but she said, uh, there was a restaurant that I used to work at and she mentioned the name of the restaurant and it was a restaurant that Kim and I had been to before. And she goes, they absolutely uh, tell the servers to do that, to recommend, always recommend the more expensive item. Okay. Real quick couple of quick stories to close out the show. Barry, let me talk about, as I, as I wrote my little note here, my friends at Barnes and Noble. So a week before this past Christmas, Barry, uh, give me an estimate. How long has that been, Barry? Since Christmas, uh, four months, okay. four and a half months. It's been uh, 20 weeks, give or take. Thank you. My wife, 
as part of a Christmas gift, gets me a subscription to a magazine that I enjoy. I am a big history buff when it comes to World War II. And so there's a magazine that, you know, it's called World War II Magazine, and they have historical, uh, you know, stuff in there. They have stories of, of people who served, all this kind of stuff. Actually, the most recent episode, believe it or not, Barry, the cover story, uh, and I didn't even know this until I read the article. Did you know that Mel Brooks served in the military during World War II? I did not. And, and it was a really interesting story about what he did as part of his service in World War II. Anyway, I get back to the story. So Kim knows that I like this magazine. And so what she did was she, uh, through Barnes & Noble, who sells the magazine, gets me a subscription, okay? So one month goes by, two months goes by. Uh, we're into, I want to say, uh, the first week, like maybe the first week in March. And I still hadn't gotten the magazine yet. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wow, this is like a, a, a magazine. Why would it take, you know, over two months for them to, to send me? And I had seen it on the newsstand. I saw the new issue come out. And so I told Kim about it. And she gives me, oh, here's the uh, the number of the people that, uh, you know, I did the subscription through. Well, of course, the number she gave me was a uh, uh, it's a processing center, essentially, that processes the order. Uh, and so they said, well, uh, you know, first of all, these things tend to take. Uh, sometimes up to 12 weeks for the subscription to kick in. I'm like, 12 weeks? Really? For a magazine? That's crazy. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, like, you buy something, I'm just going to use this comparison, from, like, Amazon, they'll get it to you in three days, you know? And so for whatever reason, the subscription was taking a crazy amount of time. And so uh, they said, you know, what you need to do, it usually takes between 8 to 12 weeks. Uh, so uh, get back with us. And uh, if still hasn't come, we'll we'll check with the with the magazine company. I said, okay, check back one more time. They said, well, we have not, uh, you know, we don't know why it hasn't happened. I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to send an email to the magazine to see, you know, what the delay is. And uh, you know, I was told that you know there was a backlog due to all the stuff that happened with COVID and stuff. Uh, but for whatever reason, it still hadn't been processed. And they said, you know, uh, but if you want to cancel your subscription. We'll go ahead and do that for you. I said, well, I tell you what, I, I'll, you know, you sent the email out. I'll give it a week. I'll call call you back in a week, and uh, we'll see uh, whether or not they respond and and if they know what the issue is or if they can give you a date. Like, okay, you'll have your magazine by such and such a date. So another week goes by. So now, Barry, as you said, this uh, this would have occurred this past Friday. So we're we're looking at four four and a half months at this point. And I called the people back and it was actually the same guy that I'd spoken to before. And he says, yeah, no, I remember. He goes, they actually did respond to the email and they explained what the different uh, difficulty was and all this kind of stuff. He said, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you want to cancel the subscription, you know, I, I completely understand because this is ridiculous. I said, yeah, I've already bought went out and bought one on my own from the newsstand and it's due for the next magazine to come out uh, very soon. I think it's a monthly magazine. And, you know, I, I really don't understand this delay. He goes, OK, uh, give me a second. I'll start processing your refund. And so he puts me on hold. I'm on hold for like 30 to 45 seconds. He comes back and he says, well, just to let you know, uh, I'm happy to uh, refund your your money but you're not going to get a full refund. And I go, excuse me? Yeah, because what they do uh, at Barnes & Noble, which is where my wife had purchased a subscription through, uh, basically they prorate the refund. Oh, there so I'm not going to get the refund through like the 17th of December, uh, which by the way, that's when my wife took out the, the subscription and that's when they processed it. 
you're going to get the uh, prorated because it's been like four months. I said, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, four months. I said, so I haven't got a single issue from the subscription, but I'm being penalized. I go, what the hell? And the guy goes, eh, yeah, I kind of get what you're uh, saying here, but uh, that's the way they do it. I said, okay, well, let me ask you then. Who's the villain in this story? Is it Barnes & Noble or is it this magazine? And he goes, oh, no, it's, it's absolutely Barnes & Noble. And I said, thank you very kindly. So to my friends at Barnes & Noble and the subscription service they provide, here's a big middle finger pointed right at you folks. And I want to tell all of the listeners out there, if you want to get any sort of subscription available through Barnes & Noble, fuck them. Don't do that. Go. I, I don't care if you go to Amazon. I know some people don't like to use Amazon, but wow, this has really pissed me off, Barry. Can you fucking believe they do that? I, it's, it is unbelievable that they would do that too, especially considering that more people go to Amazon. That you know, bookstores as we know them are dying. You breed. would think, yeah, you, know? you would think that customer service. We would go the extra distance to keep you, and uh, they obviously didn't do that. Shame, shame, shame. Yes. So, final story, as I mentioned, that uh, Breaking k with Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, nailed it, Lou, got it in. Last story, Barry, Mrs. Bowdrin and I, have, uh, I've mentioned, are looking for a home to purchase up here. So, we're doing the hey, various and sundry tours of the homes, okay? So, we go out, and there's a home that's uh, kind of a little bit out in the country, okay? Uh, to the point where, Barry, as we uh, get out of the car uh, and we're walking up the house, hey, we heard gunshots in the distance, <laughs> Because they're, 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 and not, not because like, you know, gangbangers kind of thing. It's like you're out in the country where you're allowed to shoot a weapon at target practice, I hope. But uh, that was the first thing that kind of went, hmm. But so then, Barry, we go into the house. And of course, you're going into all the different rooms. Uh, you know, oh, let me take a look at the bathroom, see what it looks like. Okay, let me take a look at the closet. Let me see what kind of room's in the closet. You know, do we, is there enough for uh, both of us? So, Barry, we go into the, one of the guest bedrooms. And I open the closet door. Barry, can you guess what I might have seen on the floor of the closet that I looked in? A dildo. Not, not, that would have been funny, but no. Not one, but two deer heads lying on the floor of the closet. Freshly butchered? Uh, well, uh, freshly mounted. But uh, I thought that was uh, a tad on the... It was so... Uh, our real estate agent that was showing us the house, uh, you know, she hasn't been doing it uh, very long. So I said, uh, you know how uh, every real estate agent has stories of things that have happened when they're showing a house? And she goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, why don't you go in there and open that closet door because you're about to have a new a new story to share with uh, future customers. And she walked over and very... She's like, look at me like, what the hell is going to happen here? She opens the door and she's like, oh, my God. She goes, you were right. <laughs> That's a story for future real estate uh, people that are buying houses. So yep. on that note, on behalf of uh, my co-host, Barry Rose, and our uh, sweet man, Luke Kippelman, getting up early for us today. We appreciate it. We will see you next week. And take it home, Luke.